You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Rob Brown here with another episode of the Talent in Accounting show. On behalf of our Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, we bring you the guests and experts all over the world that have something to say about what's happening in the accounting and finance world, particularly when it comes to talent. And I'm thrilled to have with me today a HR expert, Kat Glenn. Good day to you, Kat. Good morning, Rob. How are you? We're splendid. Lovely to have you with us. Kat, quickly for people that haven't come across you and Wade McDonald, tell us a bit about your world. Um, so Wade McDonald recruitment consultancy in HR and finance, uh, predominantly across the sort of southeast, but dealing across the UK really. And we've been trading now for about thirty-one years. Um, just celebrated our thirty-one year this year. Um, so small independent organisation made up of probably, if I add together all the years of experience, about two hundred and fifty years between us of experience within the recruitment field. Um, my background is financial recruitment for about 25 years um, and most recently last sort of two or three years I've been focused on recruitment within HR um, so predominantly within the HR sector really um, across a you know multitude of clients. You and me both have a history in HR I took a master's in human resource development a, a while back when I came out of teaching and it is an interesting world and one of the big themes back then Kat I'm sure it's the same now is the fight for HR to get at the top table and start to influence strategy and drive change and get the credibility that they deserve. Is that still an issue these days, do you see? It is still an issue, um, possibly not as much right. as in, in, I think in the last five years, there's definitely been more conscious effort from companies to understand that HR isn't just simply a support function, but is really crucial to the development of people and therefore the business sort of success really in the future. Um, I think there's still a lot of work to do. Um, we're by no means there. Um, and when you look at, you know, the number of people that are in board level positions within HR, within larger organizations, yeah, obviously um, they have that representation, but within smaller organizations, there does tend to be this we want your opinion, but we don't want it too much, you know, so we're happy for you to run things on a day to day basis. But what we don't want is for you to tell us how to do things. If you look at the HR function, usually women, very empathetic people, very emotionally intelligent. Uh, and if you look at the finance function, very black and white, very binary, same with accounting, it's right or wrong. It's Excel spreadsheets. It's not people, people, it's task-based people, but you marry both worlds. How does the finance function cope with HR in bringing both of those kinds of people together? I think, well, I think there has been a development within finance as well. Um, you know, 20 odd years ago, when I started in the industry, we'd never even heard of business partnering. <laughs> what was that, you know? So I think the fact that actually companies are now from a, a 
finance element, looking at people who are more commercial, who are not just generating numbers, but the content behind those numbers and partnering with people. So you've got to have the communication skill. You know, you've got to be able to influence your managers. You've got to be able to drive that change that needs changing, report, present and all of those things. Um, which I think means that the finance world has developed as well. You know, we've, we've got not just more, more commercial people, but more personable, um, you know, people that are having to present themselves and the information. Um, so there, there is a sort of marriage between that and then what you see in terms of characteristics from a HR perspective. Uh, HR obviously has business partnering as well. So that is, again, a liaison with hiring managers, with managers within the business and a support function for those managers within that business. So there is, I think, a development happening across both, both sectors, really, if I'm honest. And as we come out of the pandemic now and get back to some kind of normality, is it your view that we, it, things will never go back to the way they were and we're looking at a new world going forward? I think we are looking at a new world going forward. I think a lot of, um, we did a report recently in terms of sort of what's driving change within HR. Um, and I think one of the things that really came up there was that it's the employees that are now driving the change. And I think in the report, you know, 77% of people that we spoke to um, said that it was employee expectations driving change. And I think historically, it's only ever been about the economy and the economy driving that change. And there is an element of that, of course, there's always going to be an element of change within the economy as well. And that is going to impact business and how businesses respond. Um, but there is a need for businesses to really look at, you know, their diversity and their inclusion, but also the, the big one is cultural change. The expectation pre-pandemic, we were looking at sort of people saying, you know, flexibility at work is really high up there in terms of what they want and what their focus is. Um, but, you know, actually healthcare, life insurance, you know, all those things always came into it, salaries and bonus. If you now look at the report that we produced, you know, 90% of people expect hybrid working. That would not have been the case three years ago. You know, very few people were hybrid working three years ago. So there is already a change and that change has happened. Um, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how much more change there's going to be, not just for HR and finance, but in a wider sense for businesses, because we've now got, um, you know, a, a new legislation that is, planning on on sort of coming through that is going to be identifying um and dealing with you know flexibility to work um and if that does go through and if that does become law which it looks likely to be and will be the flexible working bill companies are not only going to have to look at their current policy but everybody's going to be entitled to within reason you know obviously the NHS firemen are, are not going to be entitled to um, because of what their jobs are. But every worker will then have the right to request flexible working from day one in a new job. If the flexible working bill goes through, then companies are going to have to justify why not, you know. And at the moment, that's something that, you know, we see a lot of clients that are five days a week in the office 
office. Why? Why do they have to be? They don't. It's just the company preference. So I think there's going to be a lot more change sort of coming up in the near future if that bill sort of finds its way. Well, I've got your report in front of me here, and it's an excellent uh, piece of work, research. We will put a link to it in our show notes. When we look at what's driving change, you, you mentioned employee expectations is massive. You hinted at the economy, changes in employment law, changes in individual circumstances, and changes in the direction is that HR is taking with a data-driven and more green approach. Do you just want to unpack a few more of those in detail because the landscape is changing for sure? Yeah, I mean, and I think, again, there is a correlation between, you know, the, the finance community out there and HR. Um, people now within, it's, it's as I said, it's on the finance side of things, you're generating, you know, you're doing your analysis. It means X, Y, Z. What companies are now looking for is what does that mean? Great having a number against something, but what's what does it actually mean? Just for some information that we can then use as a business. Um, to change, develop, or whatever it might be. And um, HR is, is no different. There are HR analysts out there now and HR business partners, and, and companies are looking for value add. They're not just looking for the numbers to be reported. They want to have detail and content behind those numbers. Um, it's great if you know that you've got a workforce that has uh, you know, a 10% turnover, but what does that mean? Other than knowing it's 10%, it's, there's no context behind it. So again, that kind of information, I think, is going to become more and more prevalent as you move forward. It's, it's the information behind the numbers. I was interested in your report, Kat, about the increase in the workload on employee relations. We talk about the great resignation, the great recalibration, people looking at work-life balance, feeling more and more disgruntled or analytical, if you like, of their working conditions. And your report showed that 47% of HR professionals are dealing more and more adept with employee relations, the struggles, the remote stuff, the mental health, performance problems. Uh, talk to us a bit about that finding. After the pandemic, we have seen a massive rise in um, specialist ER recruitment and companies needing that kind of skill on employment law. Um, there's been, I think the, the main ones were um, diversity and inclusion, um, mental health, working from home, um, absences. The, the biggest one on that was going to always probably be the, the working from home um, because managing, managing people's expectations, uh, managing how you then deal with that side of things is always going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue moving forwards and companies are going to struggle, especially again, referring back to the flexibility working bill. That's going to be a big thing for companies to try and readjust from an ER perspective if they're not allowing it. If you know that directive is going to come and filter through HR, HR are going to be the ones communicating this. Well, you've got the working from home thing, but the actually on your report, mental well-being and health is at 39%. Working from home and management since is 36%. So we are in an era now where mental health is at a premium. You've probably heard like we have of mental health first aiders in firms and companies because you might just break your arm in a fall, but you might have a mental breakdown or an episode or a, a stress anxiety attack. And you need people on site that can deal with that kind of stuff. Um, deal with it, recognize it, I think, and deal with it. You know, it's um, 
it is about you know human beings um actually understanding other people's behavior so it is it is that thing about there's a fine balance i think you know hybrid working remote working hybrid working i think is a thing and and hopefully something that is here to stay the important of still being visible in an office for me and I know a lot of people will disagree with this but if you're visible and you're in an office even two or three days a week you are more likely to pick up on someone's behavioral change if you pick up on that behavioral change you can then possibly identify why that change is happening and that could be a number of different reasons but a lot of them are going to be missed if we're not there and not actually ever interacting as human beings together Mental health is definitely, you know, the biggest that came out of our report, as you say, at 39%. Courses are available. Are companies pushing, you know, for people to be on those courses? Are there, is there enough awareness? Are managers being pushed onto those courses? And I think probably not. I think that courses are available, but they're not being used widely enough. We're coming into an area where I think, unfortunately, post-pandemic, there is going to be bigger mental health challenges and not just for you know people like you and I who you know have been through recessions we've been through you know high interest rates we've been through we have a few miles on the clock we've got a few miles on the clock I'm a woman (laughs) of a certain age yeah um but you know if you look if you look now at those children that have gone through the pandemic and been studying their GCSEs their A-levels or at university their social interaction skills that, you know, there are so many things that haven't yet come to light that those people and that generation are going to need additional support with. So the mental health, the well-being is really important now, but more importantly, companies have got to get ahead of this because that next generation coming through is, is really going to need it. One of the quotes from your research, it says, uh, our research during the pandemic found that mental health issues are rising at our 48% uh, as a main cause of grievances, mental health well-being. And you said this interesting, mental health is a protected characteristic. So if businesses are not treating people suffering from poor mental health adequately, they may be leaving themselves open to grievances. So there are there are big implications of not recognizing it. But if you're my boss and I'm working from home, Kat, I can hide a multitude of sins, even from myself, can't I? 100%, which is, which is why I say, you know, they're, and I 100, I fully understand that there are some jobs that can be 100% remote and great and everything else. But fundamentally, as an employer, you have got to have the human interaction. You know, it, it's fundamental to asking your people what they're doing, how they're doing. The correlation between the rise in ER from a mental health point of view is it's, it's going to, I, you know, personal opinion here, but I think that is going to increase because we're, we're not identifying it quickly enough. And, and look, you do have to be reliant on an individual saying, hands up here, I'm kind of struggling. And that comes from the leaders sometimes, doesn't it? Modeling that vulnerability and saying, I'm not coping. We're here at accounting and finance people. We know they work really hard. And that jacket over the chair culture of how many hours are you putting in? And if you're not doing your 60, 70 hours, it's not going to work. Let's pivot slightly, Kat, and talk about talent acquisition. It's another aspect that came out in your research. We know that people are coming out of accounting and finance and looking at other things, certainly out of private practice. Less and less people are taking accounting and finance degrees. And 
when we look at recruitment and how companies recruit for HR staff, for finance and accounting staff, what are we seeing there? So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a roller coaster on the recruitment <laughs> cycle, but, you know, that's just life with recruitment. You know, it always has its ups and downs. Uh, it's interesting. So from a talent acquisition point of view, what was happening last year was that companies last year were really confident and expanding and bringing people in and we as an organization we were busy last year both from a HR and a finance perspective with me in HR last year I honestly felt that all I seemed to do was speak to talent acquisition people that is you know people that are going to sit internally in a business and do recruitment for that business um, so kind of doing me out of a job, but, you know, never mind. Um, but there was a mass increase in companies sourcing and hiring talent acquisition. And the numbers were crazy. They were throwing money at talent acquisition people and people were just going for it. Fast forward nine, ten months, companies a little bit more unsure. Companies thinking, oh, actually, we're not really growing at the rate we thought we were. Maybe we are going to hit a recession. We've not really got the funds now to expand in the way we thought we were going to. What do we do? We get rid of our talent acquisition because we're not hiring. Okay. So there, there is, from a talent acquisition recruitment perspective, there is a danger there, you know, for companies. Um, and yeah, of course, I'm trying to save my job. Um, but, um, you know, I still like doing recruitment. But the reality is, there's got to be a fine balance between what companies are doing to individuals within talent acquisition who are exceptionally good and then just bouncing them off when businesses aren't doing as well. From a recruitment standpoint, when you look at finance and HR as a total, um, it's been really interesting. So in HR this year, I think I've dealt with definitely a few more sort of head of HR type roles and also learning and development seems to have crept in a bit more this year which is a really good sign because if people are recruiting learning and development, it means that they're investing in their current workforce. Um, so it's good to sort of see that coming back. On the finance sort of arena, um, the challenges have been, again, we've, we've had a good year this year in senior and qualified recruitment. We're just now starting to see those transactional teams building again um, and that part qualified, newly qualified market coming to the fore again as well. So there's, there's been a lull, I think, over a few months of this year, certainly the first quarter, but now hopefully heading. Who are the guardians of recruitment, say, in an accounting practice or, or a business? Because I, I see employer brand as, an, as a more and more important facet of recruitment. And that's the marketing department, what our website looks like, what the About Us page looks like, how we can convey what working with us is actually like. That's usually a marketing function, but putting the vacancies on there and doing the hiring and retention and uh, all of that stuff. That's the HR function. So is there any problems in ownership or is it quite straightforward in your eyes, Kat? No, it's, it's, I mean, there are definitely issues um, because, so with, with some organizations, what you will have is within that HR function sits talent acquisition, you know, in a, in a really big, like I deal with one major client who has a whole team of talent acquisition people that then would report right into sort of VP of, of HR or CPO. Um, but traditionally what you'll have is some sort of recruitment or talent acquisition person or people sitting within a HR function, 
because they're not only doing the advertising, they're not only doing the sifting of the CVs, they're then doing the contracts, they're then making sure that, you know, the um, applicant tracking systems that the company use internally has got the right information contract and everything else. The, the, the issue comes, I guess, where you've got um, a disparity in an organisation that either doesn't have that recruitment function, in which case a finance director will go and do their own recruitment, um, and whether that is marrying up with what the brand is trying to do, um, and how that's being marketed, is that, again, associating itself to the brand. So that, that for me needs to be a correlation between whoever is doing your recruitment, whether you have marketing, whether you have a, a finance director or a CFO doing it directly, or whether you have a HR department that is working on the recruitment aspect of your business, the one communication point should be marketing because marketing has got to work in correlation so that your brand is not being impacted. Um, and I think, again, there is there are definitely some people that do that really well, but there are a lot of companies that don't see the value of actually working with marketing or marketing are so busy helping sales, you know, to sell the product. I'd like to touch on diversity. We've done a lot of gender stuff panels on this show and 53% of accountants, for instance, in practice are women, but only 9% of them are in leadership roles. So we could talk about gender, but there's a lovely quote in your research that says, businesses need talent that can see things from a new perspective, identi identify patterns they hadn't noticed before and bring brand new ideas to the table. And that means tapping into neurodivergent talent pools. In the war for talent, we've got to think wider than someone that's got an accounting or a finance qualification and someone that's white, middle-class, male, I'm stereotyping, but you get the idea, Kat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think historically, diversity and inclusion, you know, we've all known about it. It's been around for years. It's been law for, you know, donkey's years, you know, the race, the religion, and all those kinds of things. But times have changed. It's not just those things anymore. You know, it's about understanding that, um, as we sit here, you look at me and I appear to not have any form of, you know, visible disability. But actually, you know, earlier this on this year, I was extremely ill, was in hospital, um, nearly died. And as a result of that, I now have an invisible disability. I walk into a room, no one's going to know that, you know, but I have to be very clear on where where that disability is and what needs I have. As and how you communicate it, Kat, too. And who you communicate it to. Yeah, and who you yeah. communicate it to. So it's very difficult. I think, you know, there are a lot of people that in, in the job market that don't necessarily want to communicate their disability either, because the fear is that they will be judged on that and not judged on their ability to do the job. So, you know, the race, religion, again, all of those things, but, you know, debilit debilitating pain, you know, hearing or vision, autism, cognitive dysfunction, dyslexia. These are the things that we've always, as, as a nation, we've always hidden away and kind of pushed to the background. Those things now are protected and they need to be forming our workforce. They need to be part of our workforce. Um, just kind of going back, 
you know, it's a diverse workforce. And I deal a lot with clients that say, you know, uh, I want them to have this sector background. Okay, so forget DNI. I want them to have this sector. Why? Why is it relevant? If you're going to pinpoint a sector, you're not looking at somebody who's looking at, at your department completely differently because they, they're not transferring from sector to, you know, and bouncing around the same sectors. You're all operating within a, you know, uh, being generalist, but in uh, the vague sort of kind of way. So construction is construction is construction. But why would that exclude somebody from an IT background coming into construction and giving you different ideas? So it's much about diversity and inclusion of visible and non-visible um, issues as it is about opening our eyes to people that can offer different things because of where they're coming from, where their background is, you know, who they are, how they've grown up, all of that kind of thing. There is more in your report on learning and development and cultural change, sustainability. There's a lot going on. But in conclusion, Kat, the HR function in accounting, finance, firms, industry, wherever they are, we know that change is here. We know that change is coming. What gives you hope and excitement for the HR function going forward in the whole talent and recruitment space? I think um, I think the fact that HR has evolved, it has changed. Um, and I think that's true of finance as well. You know, again, going back, finance business partners, who knew that? You know, you now see commercial finance managers. You know, that that didn't exist, you know? So I think, both of the industries are actually changing in terms of their approach to things. I think with HR, um, and again, you know, in the finance realm as well, there is now more opportunity to specialise. You know, 15 years ago, did we have learning and development? Did we really have, you know, proper people in businesses looking at diversity? Probably not. We probably had a policy that said we are diverse and inclusive, but there wasn't really somebody looking after that for the business. Um, so I think there's definitely more areas there for people to be able to specialise, which is going to see a whole raft of new opportunities for the people that are now coming through into that line of work. Um, I do think there has been some improvement in terms of learning, development, training. But again, you know, when we go back to the report, I think 44% of HR professionals that we looked at had had no form of training in the last three years. So, you know, there's some good, there's some still we've got to do, and there's some still, you know, companies have got to recognise where the gaps are and where the improvements need to be made. But there's also some really great and exciting stuff coming up, I think. So the school report is done well, uh, could do a little bit better, lots more to come. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Kat Glenn, thanks for joining us today. That's been wonderful. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Rob. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Yeah.